Well, good morning. It's been so hot recently, isn't it? I don't do heat. I'm from the frozen north. Billy Connolly once said that Scottish people and the sun, well, we start out blue. It's a bit of sun just makes us pink before we get anything close to tanned. I also melt and get sleepy. So it's a wonder that this sermon got written at all. I was slumped in my office chair on Tuesday with my ideas in my head, but I was snoozing too much to commit them to paper. So how much hotter must it have been for Abraham in the heat of the day where he was? Anyway, last week we heard about the second instalment of God's promise to Abraham, where the covenant was sealed by the mark of the ordinary circumcision of all males. And today we see Abraham in the heat of the day, having an encounter with three visitors who confirm that the promise is not just to Abraham, but also to Sarah, his wife. They received it jointly. And we will also explore a little bit of what her reaction to the news might mean for us. So there are three main areas I'd like to cover this morning. Firstly, the extreme and urgent hospitality which Abraham gave to his visitors. Secondly, that God sends personal messages. And thirdly, that God cannot believe a lie. So we meet Abraham at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Jesus loved hanging out with people. He would always accept an invitation to someone's house and something to eat. The only meal on record that he hosted was his last. If you remember, that meal started with a sacrificial act of service, washing of feet. And it continued with loving service and preparation of the disciples for what was to come. A shared meal and ended in prayer. We see this in John 13, 17. Jesus went out of his way to model hospitality, washing people's dirty, smelly feet. Words of comfort, do not let your hearts be troubled. Sharing the meal, the bread and the wine, even with those he knew would betray him for Judas, who would turn him over to be crucified, and Peter, who would deny him, were in that meal. And he closes with prayer for himself, for the disciples and for the rest of humanity. Jesus was a cracking host. We also see Jesus attend many meals with people in their homes. Few hosts quite got it right. There's a wedding where the wine ran out. It was at a house of a tax collector, despite the criticism of the Pharisees. At a house of a Pharisee where he's allowed uh, a sinful woman to anoint his feet, he receives a rebuke for doing so. He's at a house where there are two sisters. They had quite different approaches to hospitality. One was busy and the other attentive. At a post-resurrection seaside barbecue, Jesus ate miraculous fish with the others. And finally, at the end of a long journey with two men who did not recognise him until they saw him give thanks for the bread, they didn't know who he was. These were all in addition to various Passovers and feasts that the Gospel writers describe. Jesus liked eating out, but he was rarely treated well. 
Yeah, we here in Revelation 3.20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. It seems that Jesus will accept whatever hospitality is on offer, however simple, however cobbled together. He just wants to be in the midst of our lives. Abraham shows us a different model of hospitality to those that Jesus usually um, experienced. And we note these features, remember, in the heat of the day, urgency. It is the heat of the day and he rushes to Sarah. He orders the servants to hurry. The task is urgent. Let us feed these visitors. It's generous. The flour was equivalent to 20 loaves of bread and the calf is choice and precious dairy is freely given. And it's reverent. Abraham stands back as his guests eat. Now, some people are made for hospitality and can't wait to host a meal. Others of us, even those who like cooking, may think, oh, no, I'd love to catch up with that person, but I'm really tired. I can't get to the shops. I can't think of what to offer them or it will take too long to tidy the house. Could I say now, if asked, Sarah and I will say, yes, we'll come. And don't worry about the tidying. Why did Abraham react in this way for these three visitors? He did not know. The key is in the first few words of the chapter. The Lord appeared to Abraham. When he looked up, Abraham, who had heard directly from God on occasions throughout his long life, just knew this was a godly visitation. The Lord himself and the two angels. It is not clear exactly who or how this visitation works but Abraham knew and jumped into action urgently generously and reverently this is a model for how we can approach God loving God with all our hearts minds and strength urgently it's now the most important thing generously holding nothing back from the one who is worthy and reverently maintaining the awe as well as the personal. But this is also a model for hospitality. We can show each other, love your neighbor as yourself. Urgently, not putting it off. Generously, not lavish, but sacrificial. And reverently, it's not about us, but about the guest. This also means when the guest needs to, as guests, we need to accept that generosity. As we gather again as church, we need to worship together, but we also need to fellowship together. Time hanging out after nearly two years of isolation has got to be a good thing, providing different spaces for different needs. Jesus often asked people, what would you like me to do for you? It is a reverent and generous act of hospitality. Not, this is what I've laid on in joy, what would you like me to do for you? So Abraham shows us a way to approach others as we should approach God, urgently, generously and reverently.
the writer of Hebrews remembers this particular episode. Keep on loving one another. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. In a recent article about hospitality, especially to the refugee, it was written by a member of the Evangelical Alliance, that it is a picture of God's grace and it is a way to serve the Lord. It goes on, the hospitality is not only for the most established members of the church. It's not only for the extrovert personality types. It is not our responsibility only if a visitor shares our interests and sense of humour. It is not about having the best selection of refreshments. Therefore, it is for everyone, for all personality types, extended to all, even those not like us. And it's simple. Will you open up your home? Will we open up our churches to all? Secondly, God gives a personal message. Having seen Abraham show extravagant hospitality to these visitors, a visit from the Lord, we next hear the reason for the visit. God and his messengers have come to give a message. Abraham already knows the message. We heard that last week in chapter 17. Now, confession time. Over many years that Sarah and I have been married, people have made the mistake of thinking that if they told me something, that Sarah would straight away know about it. Bad mistake. I can claim two excuses. Busy lives mean that we pass without opportunity to share. Secondly, and most importantly, I'm very forgetful. A third but least likely option is that I told her and she didn't believe me or didn't remember. It seems from this story that Sarah may have known but was having difficulty accepting the news that Abraham had to share. It was, after all, the news of a miracle. God's response is to tell Sarah directly through this visitation. The promise is to you and you will bear a son despite your more advanced years. God gives personal messages to those whom he calls for important work. We see this with Mary and Joseph in the visit of the angel. We see this with Zechariah and Elizabeth informed about the birth and naming of John the Baptist. Mary got a visitation. Joseph saw a dream. Zechariah got a visitation and doubting what he heard was struck dumb for nine months. Elizabeth, it seems, just believed. God likes it and likes to make it personal, especially where the truth being shared is hard to accept or understand. Abraham had laughed winsomely when he was told that he was to have a son. He laughed with joy at God's impossible yet credible promise. Sarah, it seems, was less convinced. So God, not to be thwarted by Sarah's incredulousness, sends the message again for her benefit. Don't judge her. She was 90. Are we ready to hear God's personal message to us? To hear his promise spoken over our lives? Simon Gilbo shared with us a few weeks ago how he had Burundi laid on his heart 
and how that came together in the most unlikely of ways. Unusual suspects sent on unexpected mission happen all the time. Are you listening for the call and the promise over your life? Are we listening for God's promise for Christchurch and for the church in this country? And finally, we have what happened when Sarah heard the message from God. And the message here is, you can't lie to God, or more importantly, God cannot believe a lie. There's a scene in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy where the heroes are in the starship, which is targeted by a missile from the long-lost planet Magrathea. They seem to be doomed, and so to save the anxiety and concern of the readers, the narrator explains what will happen, namely that um, in the place of the two missiles, a rather surprised sperm whale and a bowl of petunias appear, and one crew member sustains a small bruise to the upper arm. Well, in the same vein, this story ends well. Isaac will be born to Abraham and Sarah, and Abraham does become the father to many nations. But Sarah maintains her incredulousness and lies to God. Sarah hears the promise from God. She knows that she is physically unable to conceive and that Abraham and she have not practiced for some considerable time the means of conception. She is incredulous. She laughs. This time it's a laugh of scorn on the very idea. Again, do not judge her. How many times do we look at the apparently impossible and say, really? God's response is, is anything too hard for God? The Rosandi answer, of course, is no. He is omni, omnipresent. He inhabits everywhere. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He knows all things. And it's this last one that is Sarah's downfall in this exchange. God is all-knowing. Sarah's thoughts are known to him. She laughs, she denies it, and she is called out on the lie. We went on a holiday to a Mediterranean island a few years ago, and one of our party got severe heat stroke and had to spend quite a lot of the holiday in the air-conditioned bedroom. It turned out later, when we got home, that the problem wasn't heat stroke at all, but a reaction to the sun cream that had been liberally applied to protect the sun. Sometimes you think, the thing we think we do to protect us actually does quite the opposite. And that is what Sarah's reaction does, her lie. We cannot lie to God. Or to be more precise, God cannot believe a lie. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. God is truth. Spirit is truth. Jesus is truth. God cannot believe a lie because he knows the truth of all things. That is what sets God as the antithesis of the enemy. The father of all lies, Satan, the devil, who sets out to destroy through sowing lies, untruth, manipulation and desires us to lie. For when the foundation of truth is eroded, then he can wreak his damage on relationships, on faith, on church and the world. But lies have no effect on God. He is truth and he knows all lies when he sees them. 
Sarah was frightened. Sarah was afraid of the truth. She therefore lied as a knee-jerk reaction to being called out. This unbelief was understandable, but the lie was willful. Scripture shows us that we cannot hide anything from God. Jonah ran away. God found him and fulfilled his task as a prophet to the Ninevites after that little thing with the big fish. He showed his true heart at the end that he could not bear to see God forgive the repentant Ninevites. And God, of course, knew this all along. Job and his friends debated the nature of God and suffering. At the end, God speaks. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. You find that in Job 42. God heard. God knew. God knew the truth and the lies that had been told. Finally, Annas and Sapphira gave the proceeds of their land sale to the church. They said it was all the proceeds and yet they kept some back. God knew and made an example of them. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. You find this in Acts 5. The message is clear. Do not even try to lie to God. He knows already. He sees all. He hears all. He knows your heart. Be open with him. He is longing to hear the truth of your soul, to hear our repentance from our lips. There is a prayer at the end of the Book of Common Prayer, a prayer of oblation. It closes with these words, don't weigh my merits, but pardon my offences. God is not interested in excuses for falling short of the glory of God, for we all do and we all will. What he wants is, to quote Psalm 51, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. For blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus shared in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3. The message of Sarah's encounter with God, who sees, is generous, urgent and reverent hospitality. Listening out for God's personal message for us. And don't lie to God. For God is honoured by our personal uh, our hospitality, is personal and is truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this whole story of Abraham, which we heard last week, and of Sarah this week. It was incredible news that they were given, miraculous. And they, they reacted in different ways. And how easy it is, Lord, for us to react in either of those ways. Help us to be open to you, to trust you enough to know that whatever our darkest secrets are, that we can share those, we can bring those out into the open, and that you are gentle and merciful and kind to us. Help us to listen out for the messages that you have for our lives. 
and help us to be hospitable, to share our lives with you and to share our lives with others. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.